and take your Bibles, if you've got them, and turn with me together to Matthew chapter 14. And the words to which I would call your attention are to be found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. These are the words of God. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken left pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The grass withers, the flower fades. Amen. Would you please be seated? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bless and praise your holy name, and we come before you now as we look to learn from your word. Father, we come to feast upon the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom you give abundant grace and mercy. We come, O Father, as your people, united to Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places, partaking even now of his resurrection life. And we ask, Father, that you would strengthen the meager faith which we bring. Lord, for those who have no faith, we ask that you would grant it. Give the gift of repentance to every one of us, O Lord, that our hearts would be inflamed for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Back in my banking days, I was given a, a book by a mentor of mine, and it was a book entitled, You Can Negotiate Anything. And the author of the book, Herb Cohen, had served for many years as, a, as, a, as an arbitrator, a mediator for uh, General Motors when, back in the heyday of automotive union days. And he tells a story about how he would negotiate the purchase of an appliance. And the first thing he would do is he would go to the appliance store by himself and he would make the salesman show him every model on the floor and describe in detail the benefits and the features of that refrigerator. And then his wife would go and do the same thing. And then they would go together and do the same thing so that by the end of this third trip, the salesman is so worn out with the couple that he's willing to negotiate the price and throw in an ice maker for free. Uh, Herb's means of negotiation was simply uh, manipulating a situation in your favor. That's what he was teaching you to do. And when we come to Matthew chapter 14, we see Christ as a mediator. Christ as a mediator is not solely interested in his own gain. 
He's not solely interested in the exhibition of His power, look what I can do, although it's here. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21 show us Christ as a mediator who demonstrates compassion to the people of God. Speaking of Christ, the book of Hebrews opens with these words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. The author of Hebrews wants you, as you focus upon Christ, to recognize that He is conveying to you the Word of God. He is the Word of God who teaches the Word of God. He is the mediator between God and man. And so in verse 3, the author of Hebrews goes on, he says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. I remember in college when I was converted to Christ or, or brought back to Christ, however the case may have been, and reading these words after spending a long time in the Old Testament and how refreshing they were, how they changed my perspective on the Old Testament itself and understanding that Christ depicts the triune Godhead in His absolute perfect nature. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21 are a beautiful depiction of Christ as our mediator, especially in God's compassion for His people. We see in this passage both the humanity of Christ and His divinity clearly displayed, don't we? We see Him on the one hand as a man who gets into a boat seeking to go to the other side to a desolate place and as the God-man who can call down the power of God in a miraculous event. And what we see in this passage is that Christ has compassion for God's covenant people and ministers to their needs. Christ has compassion for God's covenant people and He ministers to their needs. Think about what's going on here for a moment. Having received news of John the Baptist's heinous execution at Herod's hands, remember what happened. Just last week we were looking at it. Herod executed John the Baptist in a vile way. He had him beheaded to, to suit the whims of Herodias' daughter. And she brought his head on a platter. John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and they said, here's what's happened. We've buried his body. And hearing word of this, Jesus sought to go. He departed from Nazareth and he sought a desolate place, a place that was removed from civilization. The place, remember, where the Spirit originally drove him so that he might be tempted for 40 days by the devil. Jesus sought this place out here. Here, in this desolate place, Jesus will demonstrate the majestic power of of God for the people of God. Notice, first of all, that Christ's compassion is stirred in verses 13 to 14. 
Christ's compassion is stirred in verses 13 to 14. Jesus, when he heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. But when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, I want you to think just for a moment with me why, why we might naturally expect Jesus not to be compassionate toward these people. I want you to think just for a moment about why Christ wouldn't be compassionate toward these people, and then we'll think about why he was. Now, first of all, this is a, a major inconvenience. Now, if you, for those of you who have been who, in, in the early days of being a mother of young children, you may remember those moments when it seemed like you could not get a quiet moment. You sought a desolate place in the middle of a day, nap time perhaps, so that you could get away and clear your mind. And you remember those days when you're sitting there, you're having your tea or coffee and a piece of cake, and here comes a child. And you think to yourself, ah, here we go. Notice that this is an inconvenience for Jesus. This is an inconvenience for Christ in his humanity. He sought to withdraw. Now, why did Jesus seek to withdraw to a desolate place? Well, if you think about what's gone on so far in Matthew's gospel, there have been moments when men have withdrawn. In Matthew chapter 2, Joseph withdrew from, uh, from, uh, from Israel to Egypt. Why did he do that? He did it to escape the impending danger from Herod the Great. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, when the family came back, they went not to uh, Judea, but to Galilee to withdraw from the danger there. And there are three other times in Jesus' ministry when he withdrew. In Matthew chapter 4, 12, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. In Matthew 12, 15, when Jesus was aware that the Pharisees wanted to destroy him, he withdrew from there. And later in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus withdrew when he knew that he had offended the Pharisees. He withdrew from there to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Do you see kind of a pattern here? Each time that danger arises, there is a withdrawal. This is what we see here. News. Of John the Baptist's vile execution caused Jesus to move, to relocate. This was not the proper time for his destruction. And he knew that he might be next. And so he withdrew from there. And he went to a desolate place. This was an inconvenience for him. Because what happens? The crowd finds him. And it's as though he is, he's coming up to shore. And he looks up from there. And what does he see? There are the crowds again. And if this were you or I in that moment, what might we do? Well, we might turn around and paddle back the other way. We might be like James and John, the sons of thunder, and say, Lord, call down th you know, uh, fire from heaven upon these people. Get rid of them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He lifts up his face and he sees the crowd and he is moved with compassion for them. Another reason that Jesus might not be compassionate toward these people is as we've read chapter 11 and chapter 12 
and chapter 13, one thing we have repeatedly seen is that these people rejected the teaching of Christ. They are offended by Him. They don't listen to Him. They get angry with Him when He teaches. They want to destroy Him. And here they are, seeking His help. And yet not wanting to hear what He has to say. These are the same people that just a few chapters ago, Jesus said, you won't repent. Woe to you. And yet He looks upon this people and He is moved with compassion. And here on the one hand, you can relate to Christ in that He is a compassionate man. But on the other hand, you see that this is not like a man you have ever known in your life, that He would have this depth of compassion for this people who inconvenience Him, who have rejected Him, and yet still come and say, please help us. He has abundant compassion. So what are the reasons that Jesus was compassionate? One, he had an absolute trust in God's providence. He had an absolute trust in God's providence. Another way to put that is is Christ's faith in God was unpolluted. It was perfect. He knew when he looked up and saw that crowd there, even though you and I would say, what an inconvenience, he looked up and he saw what God his Father had appointed for him in that moment. And he trusted it perfectly. If a crowd is there, in other words, he says in his heart, it is because God has brought them to me in this time. He has an absolute trust in God's providence and his direction for his life. But he also has a tenderness for God's covenant people. These are not just any people who are approaching him on the seashore. Not just any people who have followed him around so that they can beat him to the other side, knowing where he might be going. It's not just any people. These are God's covenant people. These are the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And God has made promise upon promise to this people so that even though they've rejected Him, even though they've said, you offend us, we don't want to hear, He continues in His infinite compassion for this people. Jesus' response is surprising. But it should fill you with confidence. Why? Because there is never a moment where he lifts up his eyes and sees you coming and is irritated. You will never be an inconvenience to him. There is never a moment where he will not bend down and in compassion listen to every single request that you make to him. He knows every tear. He will never be indifferent to you. And in this moment, you need to see the heart of your Savior for you. We see the shortcoming of making him too much like us, don't we? 
Because if you think that Christ is too much like you, you will say, well, He might become impatient. He might turn me away. Oh, He doesn't hear me. He is ignoring me. He doesn't want to hear me pray this prayer again and again and again. But what you sense and experience is not necessarily what He senses and experiences. Christ is not corrupted by sin. It is not in Him. He cannot be tempted by sin. He saw the crowd and He was moved not with anger, but with compassion. His heart went out for them. Paul will use uh, this language later on when he would say, my, my heart goes out for you in Philippians chapter 1. You have my heart. My affections are for you. Well, when you go to Christ, you must be filled with confidence that His heart goes out to you. When you would draw near in faith to Him, just as Esther, you remember that moment where she went before Ahasuerus, not knowing if the scepter would be lowered to her. And it was. And that was a surprise. But when you come to Christ and the scepter is lowered to you, it will not be a surprise because you know He delights to show you His compassion. Christ's compassion is always stirred for the people of God. Secondly, notice that Christ's compassion was distributed to them. And I think one of the significant aspects of this next scene is that, is that Jesus is in a real way, he's, he's teaching His disciples, these apostles, how they are going to minister in His place after He ascends. I think that's a real aspect of this and this conversation, this back and forth between them. And what we notice is that as he distributes his compassion, he gives it through the apostles. Let's look at this together in verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the village and buy food for themselves. Lord, um, we want to offer you some counsel here. You, maybe you didn't prepare for this, and we notice that we've gone through the crowd, and only one family brought, only one family packed a lunch for this journey. Yeah, you might, maybe you didn't, weren't aware of that, and we need to make a provision for them in, in this moment. And so the disciples offer him some, some counsel. But Jesus takes this moment to demonstrate his compassion through, through the apostles. Look what he does. He issues a challenge to them in verse 16. Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You do it. You give them something to eat. And what he's doing in this moment is he is shifting their outlook. He's calling on his apostles to stop thinking of themselves as just elite sheep. And start thinking of themselves as men who must take responsibility for the sheep. I have set you apart to bear my word, to be the hands of my compassion to my people. He is shifting their outlook. You give them something to eat. You're not just special sheep. 
You're not just ones who have special status so that the people will notice you as you walk down the street and blow a trumpet before yourselves like the Pharisees. No, I am entrusting you with my sheep. You take responsibility for them. And so notice what Jesus does after he performs a miracle or as he's performing it. How does he distribute the the bread? Through the apostles. You see them taking the baskets out and giving it to the people and coming back and getting another one and taking them out until all of the people are fed. He's saying to the twelve, you will be responsible for my sheep. And I can't help but think about John chapter 21 and the very end of John's gospel. And you remember the moment that Peter jumped off of the boat And he swam fully clothed to the shore where Jesus was cooking fish on a fire. And do you remember what Jesus (coughs) said to him? He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. You remember what he said? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And he asked him again, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And a third time he asked him, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love me, love you. And his heart was grieved. And he said, feed my sheep. This is what he's directing his apostles to do. He's telling them before the whole crowd, these men will be the hands and feet of my compassion after me. They will distribute it to you. They are the ones who will feed you. But his compassion also demonstrated divine power. That Jesus is not just a Gandhi-like man who shows an extraordinary kind of a patience. He's not just a a Buddha-type man who can clear his mind and think clear thoughts. And he's not just a, a model of immense kindness to us. Jesus is a mediator who not only has compassion, the compassion that excels the compassion of the greatest man you've ever known, But he also has a compassion that is able to call down the power of God for the people of God. No doubt this is a scene drawn from the Exodus. What have we seen? The people of God fleeing a wicked king go out into the wilderness led by a prophet of God and they meet him there and what happens? They are hungry and this prophet feeds them. To what purpose? Well, according to Exodus chapter 16, to see the glory of the Lord. This miracle performed by Christ and feeding this multiple thousands of people is demonstrated is to show them the glory of Jehovah, their Savior. And I think there are a couple of applications that we can make of this. Like the apostles, I think uh, church officers, one of the ways that Jesus demonstrates his compassion to you is through the officers that he appoints. And and what you should see through this is that that Christ, remember as he's ascending up into heaven, Ephesians chapter 4, he's as a conquering king, he's giving gifts to men. Remember, he's passing them out. This is the picture of Ephesians chapter 4. And one of the gifts that he's given to the church are the pastors and teachers of the church. Why? So that like these apostles, they will go on not just being super sheep, but tending the sheep, being responsible for the sheep. 
And my challenge is to you, the the non-officers. When you have a need, do you seek these men out for care, for wisdom, for prayer, for advice, for counsel, for a shoulder, for strength? These men saturate themselves in the Word of God so that they in turn might show you the compassion of Christ and saturate you in the Word of God. This is their calling. Feed my sheep. But also Christ demonstrates God's care for all your needs, physical and spiritual. Listen, remember that He has called you Strike that. He has commanded you to pray for your daily bread. He has commanded you to pray for bread. The most basic, the most essential aspect of your life, He wants you to bring to Him in prayer. Everything. Jesus is inviting you in that command to bring everything to Him. Physical, spiritual, there is no point at which you will bring to Him and say, well, I... I, I'm not going to ask him for that. I mean, he, he's in, he wants us to pray for things like, Lord, convert the entire United States of America. Yes, pray for that. But he also wants you to pray that the Tylenol you take will take your headache away. And you understand why that's an important discipline, don't you? Because even in that moment, even in the small things, you are acknowledging the dominion of Jesus Christ. You're acknowledging what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. Jesus demonstrates God's love for your supplications. I dare you, try to wear him out. Try to exhaust his compassion. You will be defeated. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator between you and God, daily hears the prayers of the people of God and delights to answer them. You see what Jesus says to you? When you have a need, what does he say to you in verse 18? Bring them here to me. Remember that every day. When you have a need, Jesus says to you, bring them here to me. Lastly, thirdly, notice Christ's compassion is is received. Now there, there are some Remarkable moments in, in our lives, and we, we pat ourselves on the back when we're really patient with the children, or we're really patient with that annoying coworker or that individual that you see in town that you normally avoid, and you say, well, I'm just going to say hello this time. And you're like, man, I did a good job. I did a good job that day. And you don't, you don't necessarily give anything, but you pat yourself on the back because you withheld your anger. Or maybe you gave a compliment instead of an insult. But notice that Jesus gives, and he doesn't just give enough. 
He doesn't say to the apostles, well, how much do you think you've come to me and you've said we've got five bread and two fish? How much do we need, guys? How much? Count the people, and that's what we'll produce. Jesus' compassion is abundant. His power is infinite. His wisdom is infinite in His divinity. He knows all. He can do all His holy will. And notice what He does here in verses 20-21. to And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And just in case you were wondering, Matthew says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So some put the estimate at maybe 10,000? Maybe 12,000 people? But the point that Matthew wants you to take away is that Jesus fed all of these people and we actually, we don't necessarily know exactly how many people, but what we can tell you is that we took up extra. There are no meager portions in Christ's kingdom. I think this is why maybe as we read through the narrative of God's redemptive plan that we see men feasting over and over. This is an indicator of God's plan for His people. And at the end of the age, us feasting in a new heavens and a new earth with Christ. There are no meager portions in Christ's kingdom. When you come to Him for help, He's not going to say, well, what do you, how much do you think you need? Like He's handing out gas money. How much... How far are you going? How much do you think you need? Sometimes you and I, we we can have other men be compassionate to us if we coax it out. We spend enough time with them. If we catch them at the right moment, the scepter will be lowered to us. But Jesus delights to give it and He gives it in abundant portions. Do you need grace? Jesus has it in abundance. Do you need mercy? Jesus has it in abundance. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need wisdom? Do you need love? What do you need? Jesus has it in abundance. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing that you can ask Him for that He cannot give you plus 12. His compassion is abundant and His compassion satisfies. You know, one of the terrible things that we do for ourselves is that rather than go to Christ, rather than take to Him the menial things that I I don't want to bother you with, what we often do is we try to satisfy ourselves. We try to make our own way. And Jeremiah, he addresses this in Jeremiah chapter 2. Rather than going to Christ who has all things in abundance and delights to distribute them to His people, we say, well, I, I think I got this one, Lord. Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we read, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, 
Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the negative. And the positive sin, the sin of commission as it were, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is what you and I do when we say, I got it, I'm self-sufficient, I'm an autonomous man, I'm not going to ask the Lord for this, I will pray, you know, maybe every other day, and even then I'm just going to bring Him the big things, I'm not going to make it a discipline of asking for my daily bread. Um, You're hewing out a cistern that cannot hold water. Forsaking God, we... We try to find satisfaction in foul places. We make our own cisterns that hold no water. And this is what we saw in the narrative of Herod. These are the broken cisterns. Seeking the praise of man. Forsaking the law of God. Manipulating others to get our way. Delighting in violence. These are broken cisterns. Jesus Christ in this moment is calling you to feast upon the bread of His compassion. What do you need? Bring it to Him. He's calling upon you to relish the goodness of the Father of lights who gives good gifts to His children. Christ has compassion for God's covenant people and He ministers to their needs. Now, remember this. That the same Christ, the same Christ who saw the crowd's need, who looked up at them and had compassion upon them, the one who abundantly satisfied their need, that same one right now is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That same one is exalted into the heavens This is your divine mediator. This is the one who is praying for you continually according to 1 John 2. This is the one who prays for you without ceasing. This is the one whom you worship. This is why you come here Sabbath day after Sabbath day and Sabbath evening after evening. Why? To make known your needs and knowing that He supplies them in abundance. He's not aloof to you. There's no need that he won't hear, no prayer that he turns away, as long as it is offered in faith. Let me invite you just to turn in your Bible now to Psalm 146. I want you to notice some of the ways that God demonstrates his power and the way that he provides for his people. In this short psalm, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, he begins. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes. We might add here, neither be dismayed when they demonstrate their wickedness toward godly men as Herod did. Don't put your trust in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth. 
the sea and all that is in them. He has infinite power. There's none who can restrain him, who keeps faith forever. He upholds all of his promises, who executes justice for the oppressed. Do you need justice? He gives justice. Who gives food to the hungry? Do you need food? He gives food. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. And this one who delights to provide for His people will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come before You this morning so encouraged by how You've demonstrated Your compassion through the Lord Jesus Christ that He Himself is the vehicle through which You deliver Your mercy to Your people. He is our Savior and our only One. And we thank You, O Father, that, that through demonstrations like this in the, in the God-man, that You show that You are a compassionate God, a, com- a God whose patience does not wear out. You delight to say of Yourself that You are long-suffering. So Father, help us as we think day by day upon who You are and how to approach You through Christ by faith. That we remember we'll never be be greeted by an outstretched hand that pushes us to the side and says, not right now, I'm busy. Lord God, You delight to show Your compassion and Your mercy to Your people. Help us to avail ourselves of this. Lord, help us to stop... um, building cisterns for ourselves that can't hold water, but coming to You and drinking from Your life-giving water. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.